Hello, studio teacher friends. Welcome to episode 134 of the Beyond Measure podcast. This is your weekly shout out of solidarity with me, Christina Whitlock, otherwise known as your host and anytime piano teacher friend. I just wanted to kick off today's episode with an invitation. If it's not completely obvious by now, speaking to other groups of music teachers is pretty much my favorite thing in the world. My speaking calendar is already booking up for next year with some groups that I cannot wait to meet. So if you are part of a local or state organization and you are planning your program calendars for 2024, I would just like to throw it out there that I would love to be considered. I present often at local, state, and national programs on a wide variety of topics. And you can check out christinawhitlock.com slash speaking for suggested programs and more information. And speaking as someone who has made a lot of program calendars for a lot of organizations, please know that recommendations from members are always appreciated. So if you are part of a group, don't hesitate to suggest names of people that you would like to see on the presenter rotations, even if you aren't in charge of the decision itself. So once again, that's christinawhitlock.com slash speaking for more information. Okay, today we continue our summer tour through my bookshelves as I highlight some of the most influential music teacher reading material I've come across. Today's feature is an easy, like rather breezy read about a little topic you may know a thing or two about. It's called, drumroll please, burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle. Oh yeah, burnout is a nasty phenomenon in studio teacher world, right? And it shows up in so many ways. I probably have your attention, don't I? (laughs) Burnout was written by this incredible sister team of Emily and Amelia Nagoski. It's not expressly geared towards musicians, but it is worth noting that Amelia Nagoski holds a DMA in conducting, and there are a wealth of musical references in the text. The book is geared primarily toward a female audience, but I do think that it holds benefit for men as well. As with all the other episodes in this series this summer, my goal is to offer up three key takeaways from this book that I love so much. The first takeaway is actually really just found in the title itself. (laughs) The subtitle of this book is The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And honestly, being introduced to the idea of the stress cycle is my first highlight of today. It's more complex than what I'll give you here in this episode, but basically, we'll put it like this. Your body physically holds on to stress. I don't think that's actually news to most of us, because I think we know this in our heart of hearts. 
but it bears repeating that even when your mind moves on from stressful situations, like even when you know you're safe or that you've gotten through that really rough patch, whatever it is, your body is waiting to complete the stress cycle. And friends, I think we are really bad at this as musicians and teachers. I think that we use every ounce of energy that we have to get through like long, demanding days. And I mean, sometimes since we are musicians, those long days even include the rigors of like public performance. And then, you know, after a long day, what do we do? We pass out on the couch, drink a glass of wine, scroll our phones for an hour. I mean, who can blame us, right? <laughs> when we are re responsible for being 100% in the moment, taking every curveball a long lineup of students throws at us, plus whatever other stressors are going on in our daily lives, I mean, of course we just want to check out. I mean, we've earned it, right? <laughs> we have it coming to us. At least, that's what I always think. <laughs> well, maybe your brain feels like it needs to vegetate, but your body is actually continuing to hang on to all that stress, and it needs a release. These sisters remind us that just because you've dealt with a stressor, that doesn't mean you have dealt with the stress itself. So, Christina, you are asking me, how do we get the body to release its stress? And, I mean, again, a lot of us know some of these answers, but others I find quite intriguing. Like you might be thinking, the most efficient way to complete the stress cycle is through physical activity, like a whole body experience. So, that could be going for a run, or, the authors point out, it could just be jumping up and down. Even a really good, deep cry can provide a really significant release. But there's even more that we can do here. Physiologically speaking, a really good laugh, and you know the kind I'm talking about, that provides incredible benefits. You know, when I was at the MTNA conference this past March, I ate a lot of great meals with a lot of amazing teachers, and there was just this one night in particular that our conversation was so, and I mean so, just off-the-wall crazy talk, and I was just sobbing in fits of laughter. I mean, it's nothing I could even begin to explain now, but I have not laughed that hard in... <laughs> Gosh, I just don't even know. And I got back to my hotel room that night, and I just remember feeling this, like, euphoric sensation. And I really think it's because my body seriously needed to shake off the stressors from travel and anxiety and life. And wow, did it just really work. <laughs> Laughing that night was exactly what I needed. Oh, thanks, Jana, Steve, Nicola, Valerie, Erica, and Ken for being my companions that night and just letting it all out right with me. <laughs> my body thanks you for it. <laughs> so yeah, there's laughter. There's a great long embrace with someone you love. A really good kiss. You know the road I'm traveling here. It's all really good. And 
actually quite essential to finish the stress cycle. When one of my kids climbs on my lap and lays on top of me with their full body weight, I mean, I swear, after seconds, I can feel a chemical release in my body. That meaningful connection, whether that's with a good friend or a spouse or a family member, it is all helpful when it comes to getting your body to let go of stress. I have this hypothesis here, friends, and this is truly just my own opinion, but as musicians, most of us routinely put ourselves in somewhat high-pressure performance situations. Even if we don't do it in this current season of life, chances are you have quite a bit of performance experience in your past. Doesn't it stand to reason that our body has likely a pretty high level of stress living within it to get worked out? I know that there are certainly occupations who hold way more stressors than ours, so don't come after me about that, but I do think the nature of our work does lend itself to a fair amount of stress, which often goes unacknowledged because, you know, that's just what we do. Anyway, that's completing the stress cycle, and I happen to think it's a really important reminder. Our second point for today has to do with our goals, our plans, and our expectations. Our authors tell us that we have to redefine winning. And this is something that I see with music teachers all the time. You know, I did an episode a few weeks ago about measuring progress. It's episode number 127, and you guessed it, I will link it in today's episode notes. But anyway, in that episode, I raised the question of whether or not we are assessing progress accurately, or if we're just setting ourselves up with a limited view of the situation. This really matters, because if we don't see enough active progress in our students, we are going to get frustrated, and we are going to question our place in this profession, and we're going to start to gripe about how our students are spending their time, and then we're going to start griping about their parents. <laughs> and you know how that goes? When really, all along, maybe the solution is to stop basing the idea of progress solely on how long it's taking them to complete their method book. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> The Nagoski sisters use lots of examples of the expectations that we put around time. You know, like how long you assume it's going to take you to get to the mall, or how long it's going to take to finish that degree. And when roadblocks appear, what do we do? We get frustrated. The solution they propose is redefining our winning. It's setting smaller, more incremental goals. So without digging too deep on this, I just want to say that if our primary measure of progress involves anything to do with like passing pieces, like finishing repertoire, it's already a slightly flawed system. Because when a student is struggling to meet your expectations in a piece of repertoire, the piece is rarely the issue. 
it's generally a bigger picture problem. Like, oh, this student does not have a solid aural concept of triple meter. Or, oh, that student is not comfortable leaping an octave and they really need to be, right? I mean, the concepts are the issue. It's not the repertoire, right? But at the same time, what is repertoire? It's a simultaneous onslaught of concepts. <laughs> there are so many issues happening at once. So when your student hasn't passed their piece for the umpteenth week, I beg of you to truly pinpoint like what the issue is and start breaking it down more incrementally. And by the way, let them play something else that is going to sharpen that same concept, okay? The repertoire is too vast and life is too short to be miserable with the music you are playing. <laughs> okay, I'm going to veer way off topic here if I'm not careful, so I am slowly coming back into orbit here, okay? I promise. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes the real key to avoiding frustration in our work is to redefine winning into something smaller. It's being more realistic with the actual road to accomplishment. And often that involves placing a lot less emphasis on the timeline of said goal. Okay, highlight number three from the book Burnout. Let's talk about what the Nagoski sisters call the bubble of love. <laughs> the bubble of love is essentially what you feel when you are connected with another person or another community that enhances your life in numerous ways. So, I mean, look, if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, you know that I am kind of a super connector, right? <laughs> like, I need to connect with other people. I think that's very much a teacher thing. Like, I know it's a thing for those who are drawn to this podcast. In fact, I'm sitting here thinking about my super friends over in my Patreon community. And just goodness gracious, I love those human beings. <laughs> like the vast majority of us have never even met in person. But wow, do I feel fiercely loyal to them and also very supported by them. And this makes sense because our authors contend that trust is a primary factor in forming the bubble of love. When I think of that community, I just have such trust that each teacher has the back of all the other teachers. Like, I never worry that someone is going to say something in judgment of another teacher in that group. And I don't know, but if you've been around music teacher groups for any amount of time, you'll know that that's actually pretty rare. Like, especially online, there's always a few, right, who have to make themselves feel bigger by making someone else feel small. So anyway, when it comes to this group of teachers that I've collected here on Patreon, <laughs> I just trust that they are genuine in their desire to grow as teachers. And I trust that they are really good, solid, quality human beings. Like, seriously, they are just incredible people. And I don't know, but these kinds of relationships exist all over my life. So I don't know. The Patreon people are just the first two came to mind. <laughs> but now the true magic of the bubble of love, as proposed by our authors, 
is the fact that when you are feeling sad or gaslit or not enough or when you feel cheated or all the other things that go hand in hand with feeling burnt out, it's a surefire sign that you need to connect with your bubble of love. And I guess I'm just compelled to mention this here because truly, like this is why I started this podcast in the first place. The studio music teacher world can be so lonely, which doesn't even make sense because, I mean, we can't do our work without other people. We're with people for our work, but even still, it's lonely. It's hard when we feel disconnected from the other people who are out there figuring this stuff out too. So sometimes we're just not connected to our bubble of love. because our schedules are kind of ridiculous, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) So meeting up with teacher friends is really tough to arrange. And even though it shouldn't be, it can often feel really guilt-inducing, because we could always think of 1,000 other things that we should be doing, right? So my vision with this podcast and my alter ego of your anytime piano teacher friend was born from wanting a solution to this problem. (laughs) Basically, to provide you with a bubble of love whenever you need one. (laughs) I am a teacher's teacher, friends, and I mean it when I tell you that I've got your back. I hope this episode has offered some key reminders for you, and I hope that you feel connected to the incredible community of teachers who have found this podcast to rally around. With that said, let's share a toast, shall we? (laughs) Studio music teacher friends from all around the world. Burnout is an altogether too common experience for, well, for just about everyone in the world today. (laughs) I know that I have been through seasons of burnout, and I'm willing to bet that you have too. I hope these ideas of completing the stress cycle and reevaluating our wins and identifying your bubbles of love will help you stay connected to what really matters in this life. Because I don't think any of us doubt the fact that we have potential to influence our studio family's lives in incredible ways. The trick is just learning to stay healthy and focused on the right things along the way. So this is me raising my glass to you, my superhero teacher friends. Here, here. wrap up today, I wanted to offer just one quick disclaimer about this book. (laughs) The book is divided into three parts, and the second part is quite focused on the ways that women have been and are slighted in society. Now, I don't disagree with this content, but there is a lot of talk about like the patriarchy, right? (laughs) So when I say that men will still benefit from this book, I absolutely believe there is solid value here for them. But if you are sensitive to that subject matter for whatever reason, and regardless of your gender, just skim that part quickly or skip it all together, okay? (laughs) Read sections one and three for sure. 
So, with that being said, that is a wrap on episode 134. We have three more books left on the Summer Bookshelf Tour, and so, like, they are just all so great. (laughs) Next week, we are tackling The Ways Children Learn Music by Eric Lewitstein. That is by far the most widely recommended introduction to Edwin Gordon's music learning theory, which is a collection of ideas that I love learning about. For the record, I take some of it and I leave some of it, which in itself is not without controversy in music teacher world. But surely, without any doubt, the way music learning theory challenges the conventions of other methodologies is worth considering. And that's just what we're doing next week. So until then, don't forget to visit christinawhitlock.com speaking for information regarding presentations for your local and state music teacher groups. I would love to come share my bubble of love with you. <laughs> Onward and upward toward our very best, most connected lives, my friends. Let's talk soon. Thank you.